Hallelujah. We're so glad you're here. Those of you over here that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. I am so thankful to see you. Well, let me pray for you while you're standing. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful day that we are gathered in your presence to worship you and to magnify and to glorify you. I thank you for the work that as we looked at Friday night in our Good Friday service, it is finished. And I ask you to help us to rejoice in that today as we look at how we can be forgiven and be assured not only of our life abundant now, but of a home in heaven. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I, um, I grew up with a pastor that used to tell some of the most wonderful stories about driving for a funeral home and how he wrecked several hearses and how one time he wrecked a hearse because a man in the back that was supposed to be dead set up on the gurney and it scared him so bad that he wrecked the hearse. But I was listening to John Ortberg recently and John Ortberg was telling about a friend of his that he actually worked in a denominational office and he was, went out to preach a funeral for one of their retired ministers or deceased ministers. And he went out to preach the funeral and the guy was so exhausted that he asked the hearse driver because he rode out with the funeral director, can I just lay down in the back since there's no coffin and take a nap? And the guy said, sure. So he laid down in the back of the coffin. He fell asleep. And the next thing he knew, they were waking up at a gas station because the hearse needed gas. And this was in the days when they would still pump your gas. Anybody remember those days? You know, they'd wipe your windows and check your oil. But the guy was pumping the gas, and his friend woke up, and he saw the guy pumping the gas, so he tapped on the window and waved at him. He said, I've never seen a guy run so fast in my whole life. And John applies that by saying... You know, it is a shocking thing when you find life where you expected to find death. And I thought that was just such a powerful statement. It is a shocking thing to find life where you expected to find death. And when we say Christ is risen today, as we looked at on Good Friday service, as we looked at, there were so many who thought that Christ indeed had died. Pilate thought he had done away with his problem. The Roman government thought... Jesus was done for. The religious leaders thought that Jesus was done for because he died upon the cross. And his disciples, as Pastor Corey read to you this morning, they had even given up because they thought he was dead on the cross. And hell was probably having one heck of a party because they thought, Satan finally thought, I've killed God and now I can exalt my throne above the Lord. And yet, three days later on Easter morning, Christ rose from the dead. And where people expected to find death, they were shocked. Pilate was shocked. The government was shocked. The priests were shocked. The soldiers were shocked. And even the church was shocked. But you and I rejoice today. Can we give him another hand of praise? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And sometimes we just have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus do all of this? What was Jesus giving thanks for as we looked at just a few moments ago? And I think the key is found in what Pastor Corey read to you this morning. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Time Magazine a few years ago ran an article 
about a statue of Adam, a Venetian statue that had fallen and had broken and shattered into pieces. And the article's title was, Adam Has Fallen Again. And for those of you familiar with theological language, we talk about the fall of man, man's fall into sin. And, and so the article was talking, Adam had fallen again. But as I read the article, the startling thing about the article was this. The museum curator said, but not to worry, even though the statue had shattered under its own weight, it could be restored and it could be put back together again. And that's exactly what has happened to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has restored us and put our lives back together. There's new hope. There's new life. There's a new beginning. Trust the promise, believe the promise, and receive the promise of God. That is what happened for us at Calvary. It'll take a great deal of time and skill, the curator said, but it can be done. But the problem comes when we tend to ignore our sins because we can be blinded by our sin. None of us like to admit that we are sinners. As a matter of fact, every article I read today about sharing your faith, building relationships with lost people, one of the most insulting things that you can say to somebody is that you're a sinner. Well, I just want to say to you this morning, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Sin blinds us, so it has this power and this potential to blind us. Because when it comes to sin, we minimize our sins and we magnify everybody else's sins. When it comes to sins, we kind of rationalize our sins and say, well, everybody's doing it. I, you know, if they're doing it, why can't I do it? And then there are times when we even compromise what we know to be true because we make an excuse and we come along and we say, well, just this time. And as we looked at Friday night, what the enemy tends to do is, is minimize the temptation and then come to us afterwards and maximize the consequences of the sin and say to us, you were really never a Christian. You were really never forgiven. Well, David dealt with this. I've dealt with this. And I'm sure if you're honest in here, all of us in this room have dealt with this. Look at this passage of Scripture with me. It's a fascinating passage of Scripture. And I'm reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 19 and verse 12. And by the way, if you're watching online, all of these notes are in, your, in an app you can download from the App Store or the Google Play Store. But look at this carefully with me. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Now, I want to break this verse down for just a little bit. David is afraid, and he says, how can I know? How can I know? And I think all of us, from time to time, we wrestle with, how can I know? How can I be sure? Because sin lurks in every one of our hearts. Underline that word this morning, lurk. Recently, when I prayed over our newborn grandson, our fourth grandson that was born last month, as I prayed over him, I prayed that, it would, that he would see the day when his faith was awakened and he would recognize that he too would need Jesus Christ. And right now, he looks so sweet and he looks so innocent. And yesterday, Chris and Rachel sent us videos of, of, of baby bear again. And I was laughing and I was looking at my little grandson thinking, how could anything so sweet need a Savior? But you know, I raised four kids, and I can tell you all four of them needed a Savior as they got older. 
You know, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I can tell you, everybody that I know needs a Savior. Because somewhere in our hearts, there lurks these hidden sins. Look at what David says. Cleanse me from these hidden faults, faults that are even hidden to ourselves, and till the hour, till the trial, the testing, the temptation that comes our way, that brings that forth. The Apostle James will talk about that in his book. And notice in what David says, he says, Keep your servant from deliberate sins. In other words, Lord, I know there are going to be times when I'm going to deliberately choose to sin. Now, be honest. None of you have to raise your hand, but I'll raise my hand. How many of you, like me, you've ever deliberately sinned? Okay? You know, don't raise your hand. I I really don't want to know. (laughs) I appreciate your honesty and your transparency, but we knew it was wrong. And boy, the enemy somehow or another had a way to minimize that to us. And then afterwards, he maximized the consequences with the condemnation in our heart. David then says, don't let them control me. And that is an interesting statement there in your Bibles that you really need to underline this morning, maybe in your outline, because sin has a controlling element to it. Paul talks about being slaves to sin. Paul talks about being slaves to unrighteousness, slaves to the passions and the lust of our flesh. David prays, don't let them control me. That's a pretty good prayer. Wouldn't you agree with that? Lord, don't let sin control me. Don't let sin gain the victory in my life. The songs of faith we sang this morning showed us how we could be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. But I want you to know that when Jesus died at Calvary and he said those words, it is finished, or that one Greek word, tetelestomai, when he said those words, it is finished, Jesus broke the power of sin to control our lives. Let's give him a hand of praise for that this morning. Hallelujah. You see, what happens when we sin is it ruins our intimacy with God. It affects our intimacy with the Lord because God is not ashamed of us. God is not even ashamed of what you did. God still loves you. But what happens is we become ashamed to be in the presence of God. Let me illustrate it like this. I was, Becky and I were youth pastors in a major Air Force city. We had a number of pilots who were a part of our youth ministry that helped us with our youth ministry. Some went on to be in the astronaut program. Great guys. But I can remember them talking about when they would be deployed and when they would be overseas sometimes, how that married guys would, would be unfaithful to their wives and to their family and said you could see them when their families would be there to greet them. They says, Pastor Dennis, you could see the guilt on their faces and the guys that loved the Lord and they stayed faithful to the Lord and they stayed faithful to their wives. There was a total different way of greeting. Sin has a way of ruining our relationships, not only our intimacy with God, but it ruins our relationships because that shame is there because Satan is there to ensure, to maximize the consequences of that. And then he comes along and he, he ruins the enjoyment of all the gifts that God has given us. I don't know what you're having for Easter lunch today. It may be simple fare, or it may be a real big spread or a real big feast. I don't even know what I'm having for Easter lunch today. My wife has had such a busy week. We may order a pizza or something today, but the deal is this. When I get home, I promise you this. I am going to not only enjoy my home, my marriage, my family, my food. I am going to enjoy dessert big time today. (laughs) 
As a matter of fact, I just had a genuine revelation. We're not going to have pizza. We're going to have KFC. It's time for fried chicken one more time. This has been a long 40 days, hasn't it, guys? You see, sin was costly, but Jesus came, just as the Time Magazine curator said, he came to restore and to heal us from our sins. Look at Proverbs 28 and verse 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them or agree with God. Confess them and give them up, and then God will show mercy to you. The second thing we do with sin is we tend to blame others. We blame others for our sin. Well, we wouldn't have done it if it hadn't have been for them. We pass the buck. And I have heard it in marriage counseling. I've heard it in family counseling. I've heard it counseling with people about financial problems, career problems. I've heard it in politics. You know, it's very popular, it seems, in politics lately to blame your predecessor, to blame the guy before you that came. You know, the Republicans blame the Democrats. The Democrats blame the Republicans. Sometimes I just ask myself, don't you think politicians, you just ought to look at yourself and say, we're the ones that make the laws? You know, instead of passing the buck or saying, this is the American people, what the American people demand, we tend to pass the buck along. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalms 50 and verse 19. The sins of your mouth multiply evil. That's a heavy statement. What are the sins of our mouths? Lies, passing the buck, blaming the other person, gossiping spreading a false report. The spies came back from Israel, and because they spread doubt instead of faith among the people of God, 10 of those spies, the majority convinced the, the, majority convinced the children of Israel they couldn't do what God had told them. We need to be careful about the words we speak. You have a lifestyle of lives devoted to deceit as you speak. Now, that's an interesting statement. Because I am hearing from friends across the aisle, both Republican and Democrats and independents, we don't know who to trust anymore. Can I tell you something? You can trust a church that preaches the Bible, that stays true to the Bible, that stays true to the Word of God. You can trust a church that stays close to the cross and doesn't try to move the cross to follow the culture, but says, take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. Hallelujah. That's who you can trust. Devoted to deceit as you speak evil against others, even slandering those of your own household. You see, we tend to blame others and throw the fault. But I love what David said in the Psalms. He says, I have sinned. I love what Paul said in the New Testament. I am the chief of sinners. I love the fact when we own up, there's something freeing. It will not put you in bondage. It will not enslave you. But when you agree with God, God gives you mercy. God gives you grace. And God breaks the power of sin to control your life. Because what's controlling people is the shame that the enemy brings upon them by magnifying the consequences. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions and then, read it out with me, blame the Lord. Well, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. It, if he had have only done this or done that, 
Friends, I want you to know this morning, God is here for one reason and one reason only, to bless you. For when Jesus gave thanks for that bread and for that cup and he blessed it, he not only thanked God for the past, for everything that come in the past, but he thanked God for the present, for all that had brought him to Calvary, but he thanked God for the future because Jesus knew Sunday was a coming. Let's give him one more hand of praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Mm. And the third thing that happens is we berate ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We blame ourselves. We beat up ourselves. We fill our minds with negative thoughts. And then we try to atone for our sins. And the trouble is you don't know when to quit. I was talking to one of my Muslim friends, and I said, help me to understand how a Muslim in the Muslim faith, a devout Muslim, hopes to get to heaven. Because I know that you're not like some of these fundamental terrorists, and help me to understand, you know, because he's very sincere, and, and I happen to love him. He's a very dear friend. And as we talked, he says, well, I hope in my life to do enough good deeds to make up for my bad deeds so that hopefully that when I die, I'll be allowed to go to heaven. And of course, I didn't say this to him at that time, but as I thought about it later, what an awful way to have to live that somehow or another I hope on the scales of God's divine justice that I am going to be able to do enough good to outweigh the bad I've done. I know myself. And it's not that I have a negative self-image, but if my sin cost the Son of God his life, it wasn't the Roman government that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the Jews that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the devil that put Jesus on the cross. It was Dennis Clanton's sin that put Jesus Christ there upon the cross. And there isn't enough good that I could do in a thousand lifetimes to atone for the sins that I've done if it took the blood of Jesus to save me from my sins. And so to beat myself up over that, instead I need to believe the promise and trust the promise and receive the promise of God's forgiveness in my life. David would go on to write these words, I am drowning in the flood of my sins. They are a burden too heavy to bear. Because I've been foolish, my sores stink and rot. I am bowed down, I'm crushed. I mourn all day long. Sin has a way of doing that to your spirit. There are some sins that will actually cause your whole body to, to, be, to be consumed with pain and racked like this. I've sat at the bedside and prayed with many people, mask and glove, because of poor decisions that they made. When I came back from Asia and was so full of infection, time after time they drilled me until my wife finally told them, you can trust him. He was very faithful while he was in India and while he was in Bangladesh. But the same question over and over was, did you visit any sex places? Did you participate in the sex tourist trade there? And over and over I kept telling them, no, no, even through the pain. Here's what I want to say to you. Sin will not only extract a physical toll on your life, but sin will cause your insides to begin to rot. It will cause your soul to begin to darken and to shrivel up. There is only a slender thread called self-esteem that runs between us and heaven. And the more we're faithful to God, the more that thread grows. But when we compromise that, somehow or another, the enemy comes along and magnifies
magnifies the consequences of that, and we feel crushed, and we mourn all the day long. Hear me this morning. Sin may be mocked at, laughed at, and even legislated to be true in our world, but sin will destroy you. It's what took Jesus Christ to Calvary. And the forgiveness that people are looking for today are not going to be found upon a therapist's couch. It's not going to be found upon a pill in a bottle, and I'm not against those things, but the freedom and the forgiveness that we find because Christ has risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. You see, forgiveness of my sins comes when I turn to follow Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of my sins comes when I turn to follow Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. And I know there are some people that think that sin is the invention of the church, that the church invented sin in order to control how people act and to control how people behave. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, if the church is being true to the Bible, then they're trying to do what I'm hoping to do this morning with you is to help you see there is forgiveness, there is new hope, there is new life. To my Muslim friend, I was able to say to him, and I say to you, that I find the most incredible comfort. I find immeasurable comfort. I find immeasurable peace that cannot be estimated and knowing that when Christ went to Calvary, he took my sins, he took my iniquities, and he fulfilled the scriptural prophecies of the suffering servant and the suffering shepherd from Isaiah and Ezekiel. And he said, I am doing this to fulfill the scriptures. And there he atoned for my sins. His blood covers my sins. And that when I stand before God, I will not be standing on any self-righteousness that I possess, but I will be standing on the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that was a totally foreign concept. How do you grow up in the United States of America and not know that? How do you grow up, as I said, in a world, especially in America, where on every street corner there is a church steeple or there's a church sign or there's somebody leaving a tract on your door or an invitation to church in your mail? Why, there are some Christians that even when they go to the bathroom, they leave a tract laying on top of the toilet. How many of you know what I'm talking about this morning? And thank God for them. One of my best friends who was a safety officer for the Air Force, he came to know Jesus Christ because somebody left a track on the back of a toilet and he decided he had nothing better to do, so he read the tract. He was convicted of his sins. A guy from New York City that had never heard the gospel and found his way to our church and was born again marvelously and today has a son that is an Assemblies of God pastor in the great state of Kansas. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah! All because somebody left a track on a toilet that told what Jesus did for us at Calvary. You say, oh, pastor, you shouldn't speak of such things. Friends, when we talk about sin, we're talking about things that are far, far worse. 
in a genteel society where we want our speech to be politically correct, in a genteel society where we're afraid of offending anybody. Paul says there is an offense to the gospel. Paul says there's something about the gospel that sounds like foolishness to people, but to those who've experienced the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, it's new hope, it's new life, it's a new beginning. Trust the promise, believe the promise, and receive the new life that Jesus Christ has for you today. That's what he did. So what do I do? Number one, I admit my sin. You see, to admit means I agree with God. It means I confess. I confess. When our children were little, we had a standing rule. If you will be honest, you won't get punished. We may have to restrict your boundaries. That's not punishment, but we want to be able to trust you. We may have to change some things we're doing, but we just want you to be honest. Because in counseling with so many teenagers through the years, I found out that oftentimes kids were afraid to be honest with their parents because their parents would explode in anger, hit them, beat them. And so kids were forced to lie because they were terrified. So we decided as parents that as long as our kids would be honest, some things might have to change in order to be good parents and to teach them boundaries and teach them how to be safe. So we, we did those things. One of our sons admitted to us one time after he was married, and he said, Dad, I lied. And as he began to tell me, it became obvious to me through those years it had bothered him that he lied and that I believed him and trusted him. It bothered him, and it worked in his conscience until he came, and he said, I'm sorry, Dad. You see, there's something that you need to know this morning. When you admit your sin to God and you confess your sin to God, God is not only not shocked by your sin, you're not going to tell God anything he hasn't already heard or seen. But when you tell God your sin and you admit your sin, you release the blessings of heaven upon your life. You may need some boundaries redrawn around you. You may need some lifestyle changes around about you. But that's not because you're not loved. It's because you are loved. And as long as you hold those sins inside and refuse to admit them, look at again what David said. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now think with me for just a moment. Put your thinking hats on this morning like your teachers used to tell you in school. How many of you, somewhere deep inside of you, there is something that you did so many years ago that if you were to bring it up to the person like my son did to me, I don't even remember what he's talking about. And they probably would remember, but it still comes back. Don't raise your hands. It still comes back and it troubles you. Say, Pastor, how did you know? Was that the Holy Spirit? I don't think so, but if it was, let the Spirit of God minister your heart. I know because of how many people I've prayed with through the decades that have kept something hidden in their heart that has controlled them. And you can be free today. 
Second thing is, ask God for his forgiveness of your sin. God is more than willing to forgive you. Look at what the Apostle John wrote. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What will he do to cleanse us from all wickedness? I don't know about you, but I love being clean. I love that sense of feeling clean. I love that sense of coming before the Lord and feeling clean and my heart being free. I love that sense of when I say I'm sorry to someone I've wronged and I hear these words from their lips, I forgive you. I love that sense when I look at my children and they forgive me or my wife and she forgives me. I love that sense of being clean. I know what it is to come in from a run or come in from the field and be filthy and stand under a shower and feel refreshed. I want you to know that when we confess our sins, the wholeness that the therapist wants you to get, the wholeness that you're hoping to have, the wholeness that the world would like to see us have, you suddenly experience what it means to be a brand new creation in Christ. And you'll think to yourself, I never knew life could be so good. Oftentimes, oftentimes, I sit with people and I listen. And I think the answer is so clear and so plain. But then I find they may know the truth. They may believe the truth. But then they have a hard time accepting that God's free forgiveness applies to them for their sin. Look at this. Accept God's free forgiveness of my sin. A couple of Wednesday nights, Becky and I preached a message together about salvation and justification. Salvation is when God gives us a new life. Justification is when God gives us a new standing before God. They happen simultaneously. The moment you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, he gives you a brand new life. But the same thing that happens is you get a new standing before God. And we looked at this Friday night, but would you look at this one more time with me? He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. See, Pastor, how does he do it? He forgives me instantly. He forgives me instantly. You know, there are some people they want you to grovel. Have you ever met those kind of people you say, I'm sorry, and then they'll go, well, you don't sound sorry. How many of you ever said that to your kids? You don't sound sorry. Or sometimes somebody will say sorry and we go, are you really? Because we just really want us to go to them, I'm so, so, oh, forgive me, forgive me. When Colonel Sanders gave his heart to Jesus Christ, that's okay. When Colonel Sanders gave his heart to Jesus Christ, The pastor who prayed with him in Louisville, Kentucky, is a friend, or was a friend. He's in heaven now. He wasn't convinced that Colonel Sanders had given his heart to Jesus because Colonel Sanders knelt and gave his heart to Christ, and he prayed. And when he stood up, my pastor friend looked at him and says, are you sure? He goes, well, was what you said true? He goes, yes. He says, well, then I'm sure. He goes, well, are you really sure? And Colonel Sanders looked at him and says, Pastor, are you sure? (laughs) 
I want you to know, I am sure of this one thing, that God forgives us of our sins freely and instantly. The book of Isaiah says God is merciful and quick to forgive. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. And quick to forgive. God forgives completely. In other words, he's saying to us, don't focus on your past life of sin. Don't focus on what you once were. Don't focus on your past mistakes that you may have even made as a Christian, but keep your eyes focused on the future. I love what Jesus said at the Last Supper or the First Communion. I love the fact that he says, I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to give my body for you, but I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom in heaven. Jesus wasn't focusing on the past. He wasn't even focusing on the present. He was focusing on the future because he's gone to prepare a place for you and I that where he is, we may be there also. And you know what? This isn't in my outline, and this won't cost you anything, so just take it for what it's worth. It's not about getting a big mansion in heaven. I could care less about a big house I just want to be with Jesus this morning. That's what he's saying. You're going to be in my father's home. Well, let me close with this this morning. And then God forgives repeatedly. God forgives repeatedly. He is able to save completely all who come to God through him. Since he will live forever, he will always be there to remind God. He will always be there to remind God. He will always always be there to remind God that he has paid for our sins with his blood. You see, Pastor, aren't you afraid that if you tell people that God forgives repeatedly that you're going to encourage people to sin? No. Not afraid of that at all. What I am afraid of is that you go out of here with this terrifying view of God that he will maximize the consequences of your sin. It's not God that maximizes the consequences of your sin. It's the devil that maximizes those. Because you will sin and I will sin. Sometimes it will be we didn't even know it was lurking in our hearts, but something happened. And we responded in a way that we wish we'd have never responded. Sometimes it will be deliberate because the enemy will minimize in our mind the temptation. And then when the consequences come, he condemns us. And sometimes it's just simply because we're blind to an area that maybe our wife calls us to, maybe one of our children calls us to. I have permission to share this. One of the men of our congregation had a controlling deal in his life that became sin. Became such a controlling deal that he felt like he had to hide it from his family. He said, Pastor, I would sit here sometime in this sanctuary and feel like the biggest hypocrite. 
I mean, he was honest. He was hardworking. He paid his bills. He was faithful to his wife. He was faithful to his children. He said, but it got to the point where I was so ashamed of myself. I used to just love to come to church. But I didn't want to be in church anymore because I felt so ashamed. I said, didn't you ask God to forgive you? He goes, yes. Over and over I asked God to forgive me. But listen to these words. He said, but I came to the place where I felt God has got to be tired of hearing this same confession over and over. You see, he expected to find death where there was life. And I want you to know that because Christ has risen, there is life and there is forgiveness. And God forgives repeatedly over and over and over again. How often? Well, he told his apostle Peter one time, he says, if your brother sins against you, forgive him seven times, 70 times. That's not 490 times for those of you that did the quick math. But that's as Buzz Lightyear said, to infinity and beyond. God forgives repeatedly. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray with you? Hallelujah. I thank you, Father, that as the old hymn says, we serve a living Savior. I thank you that as the Bible says, he is at the right hand of God, ever interceding, reminding you that he paid for our sins with his blood. And I pray for the person watching this morning or for the person in this room today that have never given their heart to Jesus or maybe, Lord, they have wandered away. I pray that right now you will give them a new hope. You will give them a new life. You will give them a new beginning. So I'm going to ask you, would you pray with me right now? And you can pray these words in your mind or you can pray them out loud. Matter of fact, you don't even have to pray the words I'm praying, but I just want to help you commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you that Jesus bore my sins to the cross. And that on Easter morning over 2,000 years ago, you raised him from the dead. Now think about that. The apostles looked to find death. There was no body. The Roman guards looked to find death. There was no body. The Jewish priests looked to find death. There was no body. 
And I'm telling you, Satan must have whelped and screamed in terror when he saw there was no body. Because Christ rose for you this morning, my friend. Christ rose for me. My hope is built on nothing less. Let your hope be built on nothing less than Jesus. So let's keep praying. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. That's hard to say, Lord. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against others. Forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. It's okay if you cry, and it's okay if you don't cry. And Jesus knows you. He knows me. He knew Peter. Peter was going to sin. So don't let the devil tell you, you can't do this. You won't be any different tomorrow than you are today. You are being different right now. New hope, new life, new beginning is yours. Hallelujah. And say to him, Jesus, I thank you that you forgive me over and over as long as I repent and turn around and follow you. I feel so loved right now by you, Father. I don't feel your anger but I feel your love for me. You love him, tell him. Just say, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And if you prayed that, welcome home. Welcome to the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ this morning. If you prayed that, welcome home. Heaven rejoices. This church is rejoicing because you have accepted God's forgiveness for your life. Now, church, I pray over you that the Lord will bless you. He will keep you. He will make the abundance of heaven and earth fall upon you. And I pray that in everywhere you go this week, that the blessings of heaven will flow over from your life to someone else's life. Go in the name of Jesus Christ. Happy Easter. God bless you.